This is the Think Christian Podcast. Back to our regular programming with this episode. And as always, claiming that there's no such thing as secular. Hello, I'm Josh Larson, editor at thinkchristian.net and your host. After sharing the audio from our most recent TC Movie Club discussion, we're back with our usual format for this show. This time pairing Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, with a new book from one of our regular guests, Joe George. Joe's book, The Superpowers and the Glory, it gives us an excuse to consider not only a theology of superhero stories, but also the state of the MCU. The discourse seems to think it's pretty precarious right now, so we'll see what Joe has to say in just a bit. First, though, a quick word of thanks to a listener who recently reviewed us on Apple Podcasts. They went with the username Rogue McMahon. Rogue called the show a great reflection on faith and culture and shared this. I started off just listening to episodes that featured movies or TV shows I enjoyed, but quickly discovered how delightful it is to listen to a lively and friendly conversation on Christianity and pop culture. I now listen to every episode regardless of the topics. I found several new TV shows, movies, and music that I've enjoyed a lot thanks to this podcast. I also feel like I've learned a lot from the insights of the contributors, and over time, I feel like I know the contributors. I get excited when certain people show up because it feels like hearing a friend talk about their passions. Thank you so much, Rogue. That's our hope for all our listeners. So if you feel similarly and wouldn't mind leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts like Rogue did, it's easy to do right now while you're listening. Here's how. Just click on the Think Christian podcast name on the audio player, then scroll down to ratings and reviews and click on write a review. If you're listening to us via Spotify and you're on your phone, you can click on Think Christian at the very top and you'll see a star rating button. Thanks again to everyone who's taken the time to give us a rating or a review. It really does help us find new listeners. With that, let's check the pulse of superherodom and talk to Joe George. Joe George is here and he has his book with him. Joe, congrats on getting the superpowers and the glory into the world. I know we've mentioned it a few times, I think over the past year or so, but the actual release just around the corner, I think maybe it should come out the same week this show publishes. So how does that feel? Oh, it feels so good. <laughs> it's been, it, it's you, your experience this too right now. I know, Josh, it's one thing to write the book and then there's everything afterward where it just feels like I just, I want to get this out into the world now. Yeah. And so I'm so glad that part's done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're here too. There, there can be that strange gap, right? And, uh, yes. and it's a lot of generating word of mouth and uh, those sorts of things, but um, which you'll continue to do, which we're doing oh, yeah. here, but but getting it in people's hands is so fun. So yes, um, so yeah, let's let's talk about it. The superpowers and the glory. I I really think you know anyone who's followed think Christians coverage of comic books, superhero movies, streaming series, I think they'll love it. I especially appreciated the historical context you give. I'm someone who you know is a fan of these stories and and has been since I was a kid, but not an obsessive fan. So I don't know all the lore or all the history or all the eras. And it was really helpful to have that context going into the other stuff that you bring, which is, you know, as anyone who's read your TC post, know, there's careful criticism here, thoughtful theology involved too. So with all that going on, how have you been 
describing the book to people. And I also want to hear what was your favorite thing about writing it? Go back to that writing phase oh, and boy. tell me what part you, you enjoyed. Maybe it was a chapter. Maybe it was looking at certain films. But, but yeah, give us an idea of how what to expect from this book first, though. So when I'm describing it to people, I try to make it as simple and unscary as possible. So yes, I do go a little bit into, you know, such and such character was created in 1940 and this sort of thing. But I try not to overwhelm folks with that, just give them sort of resources. I really want it to be aimed towards anybody who enjoys superhero movies and wants to think a little bit more critically about them, or more specifically, wants to think about how they relate to their faith. Um, I gave it the subtitle, a, a viewer's guide to the theology of superhero movies, because I really am writing it for viewers. You know, my goal is not to not to tell you, I think these ones are good and these ones are bad, mm. or to get you to agree with me as far as that goes. My goal is to equip viewers with the, the, the kind of the tools to think critically about them. What are the themes that are in there? And specifically, how do those themes relate to us as Christians? And so I, I hope that it is user friendly, that yeah. if you've only watched, you know, the Marvel movies and that's, that's what you're into. Cool. Hopefully you can get into this and you're not going to feel overwhelmed and you're going to, you're going to be able to kind of integrate your fandom into your faith. Cause I don't think those things are opposed. We just need to think about them. Yeah. And you give some prompts, some practical prompts as well yeah. with each chapter. That's helpful along those lines, I think, which does set the book apart a little bit. I hope so. You know, I, I, I intend it to be, I, I, I would love something like this when I was a teenager and mm. in youth group, you know, yeah. I'm kind of hoping for something like that or small groups or something. It's, it's again, intended to be kind of a conversation starter. And then you take it from there because I'm sure you've run into this, Josh, where when somebody finds out you're a movie critic, they, they get all, you know, oh, well, you probably don't like the movies that I mm. like, you know, and they get kind of defense and you don't need to do that. We're not, I'm coming at it from the perspective of somebody who's seen a ton of movies, of course, and thinks about, you know, the way the camera moves and all that sort of stuff. But, yep. but also if you, in, you're watching the movies and you enjoy them, awesome. You've got all that you need to then start thinking about the substance of them. And like I'm just kind of giving you the strength to, or not strength, that's not the right word, but giving you some props to go from there. Yeah, I like that. Just bring your excitement, your enthusiasm. Um, yeah. You don't have to bring your MFA in film analysis. Um, no. Even though you're do, even though, as I said, you're doing some of that critical work in the book, but, but yeah, it's open to others who just want to bring their fandom. I like that about yeah. it. So, yeah. so yeah, tell me what you did enjoy about the process. Boy, I mean, now that you have some distance, you know, it's like <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, no. So one of the things I really enjoyed and is is kind of rediscovering movies that I didn't like the first time around. You know, mm. um, for example, I have an entire chapter on Batman because there's tons of Batman movies out there. And I went into it when I was going to get to the Christopher Nolan parts. I was like, clearly I'm going to focus on the dark Knight. That's the best of them. That's one of the best ones. Yeah. That's going to be my favorite. And then I kind of found that in the writing of it thematically, I found the dark Knight rises to be a little bit more rich, even Interesting. though I don't, I mean, even now I can only look at it and say, I don't enjoy that one as much as Batman begins or the dark Knight or the dark Knight, but it, it, it helped me to kind of once you started breaking down there to see what the movie was trying to do, even if it wasn't entirely successful, the, the way that it did this theme of failure and falling down and lifting one another up out of, out of uh, misery that's represented by the Lazarus pit in this movie. That was really great. And, and sometimes one thing that's nice about 
criticism, I'm sure you found this as well, is sometimes when you're focusing on a part of a movie, you can kind of move away all the things that don't quite work totally. so well. Yeah. And you can just appreciate like, man, this is, this is well shot. The themes are working here. I wish there was more of this in the rest of the movie, but I'm really glad I get to sit in this part that maybe I overlooked for the last time around. So that's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, well, first of all, the little secret of doing projects like these are, you know, it gives you an excuse to do that and spend yeah. time with these movies from a little bit of a different angle and be enthused about something new in them. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Also focusing on a scene, you know, in the times I've, I've written about movies in this way, I'll touch on a number of movies in a chapter. And so it's not necessarily an all encompassing essay on what everything a film is trying to do. Right. But it's yeah. more, as you say, one particular sequence or use of the camera or lighting or color or something that relates to the other idea, to the main idea I'm trying to explore there. And that can be a rewarding way to look at movies. And I always come away appreciating all the other jobs at play in producing a film, right? We can, Absolutely. when you do a straight review, sometimes it's all about the director and here's the mm -hmm. director's other works and um, the other themes they've explored. And that can be fruitful. But yeah, when you do kind of burrow into a specific scene, you can start realizing how much a production designer contributes Absolutely. or the composer of the score and those sorts of things. So, so yeah. yeah, that's, that's definitely a fun part of a project like this. So I had a question I wanted to ask and kind of dig more into how the book actually does some of the things you've been talking about. And you you discuss the posture, I guess, Christians could take when considering superhero stories. And you point to 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 as somewhat of a guiding verse. And this is where the Apostle Paul tells us to, quote, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I'm wondering if you can elaborate on that a little bit and maybe include some of the nuances that come with following that directive in the context of watching these movies and TV shows. I think, you know, in general, we can get a sense of, of what is meant there, but specifically when applying them to this fandom that people have for these movies, how, how do you see that working itself out? You know, you and I are pretty close in age, so you probably grew up with this as well. But when I was young, I felt like the church had a fairly antagonistic relationship with with art and specifically pop culture in Hollywood, where mm -hmm. I was taught, you know, learn to discern, you know, pay attention to the worldviews that are inside of these things, which, you know, is useful. But there was also this kind of, but also mistrust to them. And mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't think that's useful. I mean, that's antithetical to the entire thing that we're doing here at TC, right? When we say there's no such thing as secular, what we're getting at is that all of this stuff can speak to our, our, our life. But that doesn't mean that we don't discern or pay attention to the worldviews. It's just we we know that we have that that you know, God has created, given us a good world and given us the ability to to think critically to speak back and to give grace to people that kind of get it wrong, even in an artistic sense. And so I kind of lay out in the introduction that, that instead of that antagonistic view that Christians have had historically towards movies, we should be approaching it more in looking at the worldviews that are in the films, looking at the way that they imagine certain things and saying, well, what can that, you know, how does that relate to the Christian worldview? Do we does scripture teach us the same thing? What can I learn, even if I'm, they're not quite doing it the right or not doing it the way that 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 we would approve of? Something like that. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I think that's easy to say with 
with, you know, if we're going to throw out, uh, I don't know, tar or everything everywhere all at once, you know, one of these big heady or big heady movies or something like that. Superhero movies kind of fly under the radar because they are pop, you know, very made for a broad audience. And I think especially Christians can kind of just take their morals at face value. And we run, we run the risk of the other end of that, where they can be like, Mm. well, this movie's about good guys, good defeating evil and doing the right thing. And therefore it must line up with the Christian Mm. worldview. And we can run the other risk of, well, not really, because the way that they imagine goodness is often on lines of power, which is why I gave the book that title. Superhero stories are power fantasies. And when we're thinking about what power looks like in the world, a lot of what Christ did is reimagining power. You know, the whole mm-hmm. Beatitudes is this. And so I don't think that we need to, to shy away and say, well, then no, we can't mess with superhero movies. But rather, we have to kind of do the same work with superhero movies that we do with, you know, <laughs> the seventh seal or whatever. It's we yeah. just because it's not. It, just because it's not high art and just because it's going for a broader audience doesn't mean that it's not carrying those worldviews and we still as Christians need to talk about them. And hopefully they'll see in the movie, it's not a bummer. So I'm take captive, you know, pay attention to these things and, and yeah. talk back to them. Yeah, you're encouraging, you know, you're encouraging conversation, I Absolutely. think, which encompasses both of those approaches. If it's a genuine conversation on the part of both parties, I think that's why I use the word, you know, posture earlier is you're arguing for sort of a posture to take that for some people might be a little more alert, a little more discerning than they have been. And for others, it might be a little more open and a little more, (laughs) you know, be willing to look for this resonance in places that they might have been suspicious of otherwise. So I wonder as you're describing it, you know, just to give people a sense, a specific sense of that working itself in the book, if there's an example um, I mean, you could go either way. Is there an example of a movie that is one where you would say, hey, this has sort of been written off as worthy of consideration for Christians, but actually I found some richness here and here's how you could look at that? Or is there an example you want to give that's kind of the the other way is like, here's one that we've kind of blithely accepted, but has something within it, I think, as Christians, we might want to step back and say, well, actually, you know, we think about this idea a little differently. So you could yeah. go either direction, but I'm just curious if there's like a title or or a chapter that kind of is a good example of that. With the the, the latter example, I, I, I think my Superman chapter kind of addresses that because, you know, Superman, paragon of good, especially on film, you know, when we think not so much the Zack Snyder movies starring Henry Cavill, but certainly the Christopher Reeve movies, the kind of classic ones, paragon of goodness, you know, he does the right thing. And, and that's, that's all true. But what struck me while I was rewatching these, especially looking at it from a Christian worldview is how many terrible things happen to people in superhero movies. I mean, and especially Superman movies, you know, part in order to get what we need, which is Superman saving the day, a lot of bad things have to happen, you know? And, and one of the things that's wonderful about the first Superman movie from 78 is that those bad things range from Lex Luthor is blowing up the West coast to make more (laughs) oceanfront property to literally uh, a kitten is in a tree that Superman has to come rescue. That's right. (laughs) All of those are in there. And that kind of draws, you know, when we, when we move away from Superman for a second, that gives us this sort of world that is 
not actually that unlike our own, where bad things happen to people and we don't always know why. And sometimes they're huge and sometimes they're they're um, very minor, but that suffering is part of life, which Christians have been wrestling with. We call that theodicy, you know, the question mm-hmm. of why, uh, if God is all loving and God is all powerful, then why are bad things happening, you know? And I, I think that strangely Superman movies give us a chance to wrestle with that And again, another surprising thing was that I think that the 2006 movie Superman Returns, directed by, speaking of bad things, Brian Singer, is strangely the one that kind of illustrates that best, where the whole point of the movie isn't so much Superman is going to come save the day, but rather by watching what Superman does, we get inspired to go help one another. Mm -hmm. There's a wonderful shot where Superman is drowning and Lois Lane's hand comes into the water to rescue him. And it's this very, like, we can help, you know, we can help one another. And and my argument there is that's, that's really the answer to theodicy. Not so much why do bad things happen in the world of a loving God, but rather our job as Christians is to be God's hands and God's feet and to get out there and love and serve. And I, and I think that if we just focus on Superman being a good person, we miss the way that these movies also tell us, show us examples of other people who are not all powerful aliens going out and helping one another. Interesting. Yeah, it lets us off the hook for our um, role or our participation if we leave it all in superhero or Superman's hands. I could see that. I like that. Yeah. And that's one of the, you know, forgotten Superman movies, right? So yeah. as you said, another example of rediscovering a bit, or maybe you were a big fan of that one when it first came out. Um, but now, yeah, people don't talk about it too much. I mean, with good reason, but. <laughs> <laughs> so if I'm remembering correctly about the book, Ant-Man, I think only gets a few cursory references. Uh, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So now is your chance to offer, I don't know, theology <laughs> of Ant-Man, maybe. We're going to discuss <laughs> the latest MCU installment, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, when we come back. Stick around. House mixologist John J. Thompson here, and that was just a little bit of R.E.M.'s Superman, a song I definitely could have been caught playing with my band when I was a teenager looking for a tiny sliver of rock and roll glory back in high school. I'm sure glad there's no social media evidence of that laying around, but that is just one example of the musical glory that awaits you in this episode's carefully crafted quantum mix of songs that explore the related themes of power, superpowers even, and glory and what it all might mean. It was a fun mix to make and has been fun to listen back to from obvious and direct references to more subtle inferences to a few songs that might have even backed into the theme unintentionally. Many of us musicians have leaned into the power of music as our superpower in one way or another, and I've long been fascinated by the quantum dynamic of that, even the old biblical, sometimes extra-biblical, legend of Lucifer as the angel with authority over music who lets some of that glory become his undoing. Well, it all seems so relatable. A bit later in the show, you'll hear a bit of Johnny Marr's spirit, power, and soul that seems to tap into the positive side of 
have all of that. I got to see Marr open for The Killers last year, and he included several songs by his old band, The Smiths, in his set, and it was, well glorious. You know where to find it, so I'll see you over there, and if you find yourself in the quantum realm looking for something to rock out to, dial us up over there and see how we sound. I bet it's cool. Peace. Josh Larson back here to talk with Joe George about more superheroes. Joe, before we get to Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, I want to get your opinion on the state of the MCU. Critics seem to think it hit a new low with a low point with Quantumania. Audiences, I guess, seem to agree. If you look at, there was a steep drop-off at the box office the second weekend, I believe. So where are you at personally with Marvel movies? And and then where do you think things stand for them in general? So I'm a strong outlier with all of this stuff. Like I have loved these characters long before there was an MCU and I will continue to love them afterwards. And so- You know, everything that people love about these movies, I'm into, and everything that people complain about, they don't bother me. Uh, So (laughs) I I do, you know, I I can, I don't just watch superhero movies. You know, I'm a critic and watch every type of movie. And so I understand and sympathize and agree with all of the, the kind of gripes that critics have with them. Yeah, they're taking up a lot of space in theaters. Yeah, I'd like to see. You know, I, I never want Chloe Zhao to make another superhero movie mm. she, because she's wonderful in her other movies and wasn't so great there. All of that stuff, I'm with you. But as far as kind of, I don't think the genre is going to go away. I do think that people are maybe tired of it isn't quite the right word, but maybe hungry for something more, which is bound okay. to happen. You know, the genres are always going to shift. It was at the top. I hope people are hungry enough for it to continue maybe reading a book that's out there right, <laughs> right. now. Uh, and so with it, I mean, it's not going to drop immediately, but of course they're going to, to to die down some. I I think that Marvel will be smart to slow it down some, mm. you know, spend a little bit of time on quality control. It's not so much that they're going too deep in the lore, but rather we not every concept deserves an eight hour TV show or a two and a half hour movie. Yeah. And, you know, I, 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 I think people are rightly getting a little tired of the seeding other stories instead of just telling this one, you know, for me, the most recent black Panther movie was a real example of that where okay. everything there's a good movie there that's buried under set up for other things. And you're like, oh, gosh, yeah. just own your stuff. So it's dying down, but I don't think it's going to go away altogether. Yeah, I doubt it. Um, you know, the, even though Ant-Man hasn't been a huge hit, you know, these things are still immensely popular. And I'm trying to remember who it was. It was some other podcast, someone who was like you, you know, a very uh intense fan of the genre, uh, said, you know, if you had told me I would get three Ant-Man movies at some point, I would have been like, so happy. I never would have expected we'd be in a place, but then to your point, like, well, but do we want these three Ant-Man movies, (laughs) right? Like, is it, is that maybe pushing it? I'm kind of maybe closer to you though, overall, Mm. I'm not as alarmist on it in general, looking at the MCU and how dominant it is. I think if you take a historical view, basically I'm not one of these people who say it's the end of cinema, like they're gonna kill movies, you know? We're always gonna have high art cinema and then a dominant genre at the movies that churns out some good stuff and a lot of so-so stuff. I mean, if you look decades and decades ago, you could say it was maybe the gangster movie genre, right? In Mm -hmm. Hollywood, then Westerns had their say for a while. 
Mm-hmm. Now, I will say, you know, both of those genres have given us, you know, masterpieces that stand mm-hmm. the test of time. I don't know. Maybe we need a little <laughs> more distance. Maybe The Dark Knight is it. You know, maybe that could be it that you would consider at that level for the superhero genre. But I think it's otherwise, you know, there's more artful stuff going on as well still. And you just have to look in different places. The concern you touched on, which I do agree with, is when the MCU specifically becomes so dominant and so overwhelming that it starts to squeeze out the smaller, more artful stuff. And I think that's where I would kind of raise the alarm as well. And we see signs of that. You mentioned Chloe Zhao, who directed the Eternals. I think it's just Eternals. And this was after, you know, winning the Oscar for something small and intimate like Nomadland Mm -hmm. and making an even better film before that that was even smaller, The Mm -hmm. Rider. Mm -hmm. That does give me pause. Seeing, and we can move into Quantumania here, seeing someone like Jonathan Majors, such an exciting talent when he broke out in a little film, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, now be the villain in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania and seemingly being committed to who knows how many Marvel movies afterwards, that gives me pause as well. That's when I start to say, okay, now these worlds are starting to blend to the point that one is overwhelming the other. Then again, I'll counter myself again. Maybe that's how you eventually get the masterpiece. You get the best talents on this material. So as you can see, I'm kind of torn about it. Not quite as alarmist as the the discourse seems to be right now, though. Yeah. You know, with uh, with I, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I'm a little less concerned when it's actors than I am with directors. You know, mm-hmm. I, I feel like Jonathan Majors can do be Kang and all of those weird variations and still I mean, I haven't seen Magazine Dreams yet, but, you know, he's got a, a art movie that's out there that's coming out that that he's devoted to. You know, he can put a little bit more in that, whereas opposed to. Chloe Zhao wasn't making anything else when she was doing Eternals, you know, and there's a bunch of hullabaloo about Stephen Yen's going to be in an upcoming Marvel movie. And boy, that's going to take up a lot of his times. But that dude was on Walking Dead for like 10. He's a wonderful actor. And, you know, he's been in Minari and, and Burning and, you know, these really wonderful character dramas. And I want more of that from him. But the guy's got time to do both. When it's a creative, I'm a little bit more or when it's a, a director or a writer or something like that, then I'm. Like, That's gosh. fair. Yeah, the commitment, <laughs> the time commitment is is a lot more. So yeah, I can definitely see that. So yeah, maybe we'll we'll start with majors. But just in general, what did you make of uh, of Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania? I liked it. I mean, it's a it's a three <laughs> out of five movies. There are totally problems with it, yeah. and I don't know that I went if I went into it like with low expectations because both Thor and Black Panther I found ultimately pretty disappointing. The two and I went in, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I went into them with really high expectations and mm. was disappointed. With this one, I kind of went in with low expectations because they're all, you know, this is the next phase and we're going to launch all of this. And you're like, on Ant-Man? Right. You know, the the pleasure of the last two Ant-Man movies is they were s- relatively small stakes. And so why are you doing this? And so I don't know if it's that. They put us up in a really nice crisp theater. So the visuals looked really good to me. So I thought it looked good. I thought it was fun. There are definite problems with it. But at the end of the day, I walked away going like, I I had a really good time with that. And that's kind of what I want out of these movies. Yeah, I'm with you, actually. I was positive on the film. Not enthusiastically. I think it's like probably mid-tier Marvel for me and and lower mid-tier. But yeah, quickly on the visuals, I'm with you. And sometimes this can vary from theater to theater. 
But I had such a horrible experience with Wakanda Forever in terms um, of seeing, being able to see half of the stuff going on in that film whenever CGI was involved. The live action on production design sets was great, but yeah. the CGI was a mess. And here, there's a ton of CGI, and yet a lot, most of it was very clear, as you say, yeah. which again, low bar, we, that should be the least we get, <laughs> <Yes>. right? <laughs> but in Marvel, we haven't been getting that very often. And I've no. seen a lot of complaints about how this movie looks, which, you know, not every shot is golden, but um, I do wonder if it's just an exhaustion of CGI over well, overall, which connects to your point about this being a much bigger movie than the previous two Ant-Man films. Yeah. This is taking place in this quantum realm that is... You know, basically, it might as well be outer space or something like that. It's not mm -hmm. uh, a small-scale drama like the others. I actually think that helped me because I'm lower on those other Ant-Man films than most people. I don't think either of the previous ones were entirely successful. So I kind of appreciated the refreshing, inventive imagination of this as long as we were seeing a ton of weird creatures. I mean, the slug yes. horses and the, you know, all the stuff going on. I was kind of all in for that. Then it gets too big. You know, then we get to <laughs> Jonathan Majors Kang and the setting up, as you said, the next film and a lot of space battles where the visuals get a little muddier. So I think I was more excited about it for the first two thirds than the final third. Okay. But yeah, overall, overall, I, you and I are the the rare couple who <laughs> it sounds like did like Ant-Man, Quantumania. Yeah. Yeah, so let's fun. talk about Ant-Man, this one particular, or maybe, you know, all, all mm -hmm. three of them. And this figure of Ant-Man, is there a place you would slot these movies or this one in your book, looking at the various ideas you explore, the themes you explore, or is this kind of one of those, and maybe not, you know, this might be one of those outliers where it just didn't fit and that's why you didn't tackle them. Or, or if you had unlimited page count, would you put it somewhere? <laughs> uh, I had plenty of page count, but unlimited time uh, was the problem. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> um, so I, I talk about the Ant-Man movies in my uh, chapter, Monsters Make Good chapter. Um, and I talk about it briefly. I, I talk about uh, up until the time that I wrote it, I talk about every comic book superhero movie at least a little bit, even if it's just like one sentence. So I cover okay. them all in there. But I mentioned the Ant-Man ones in my Monsters chapter, which kind of deals with, uh, focuses on Black Widow, the Hulk, Blade, and the Hellboy movies, because those are all movies about monstrous characters who are, turn out to be heroes and kind of what that mm. means. And Ant-Man, I, I mentioned, is kind of a light monster. You know, Scott right. Lang is a thief, but He's played by Paul Rudd, the most charming person in the world. <laughs> yes. And the movie's like really like he's an ethical thief. He's a good dad, you know. <laughs> so they don't they don't do that much in that. But this third one it gives us a lot of not so much Scott Lang, but Janet Van Dyne, Michelle Pfeiffer's character as a character who made some compromises. You know, she she went to the quantum realm earlier and she inadvertently helped Kang get to power. And she returns to that with kind of these people that are all being oppressed by Kang, thanks in part to what she has done. And so I would put it in that chapter because we do have in that sense, again, not so much with Scott Lang, but with, with Janet Van Dyne, the Wasp, this a, a character who has made wrong choices and is kind of dealing with the fallout with them, which is a 
a, a popular trope in superhero movies. And what I find so interesting about those from a Christian perspective is you know, what the, the epigraph, I give this first, 1 Corinthians one twenty seven, one of my favorites, it says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And what these movies show us are characters who have messed up or seem weird or are outsiders. And they're the ones who become the sort of vessel to do good to make things right. And I think that's even working, you know, obviously with the Janet Van Dyne story where it's the very fact that she screwed up that allows her to be the one to tell Scott how to defeat Kang and save mm-hmm. the universe and all that. But also with the, the the visual motif of the movies, it's literally about a little guy who um, is taking on a big guy. And as a very short man, I appreciate this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you know, it's it's all about if the, the, the tiny overtaking or, or having some sort of power or perspective that the grand eloquent Kang, the conqueror, doesn't have. And it's that very, Mm. that tininess, that disregardedness that I think is so important that we see in there. Yeah, I like that. And I I especially like the connection to Michelle Pfeiffer's character because I thought she was one of the strongest parts of the movie. I did not expect we were going to get that much Michelle Pfeiffer and she's not on screen enough these days. And there's an example of a real talent, you know, committing to what to material, some people might say is beneath <laughs> beneath her, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But I think she's good in it. I think her commitment helps sell a lot of those ideas that that you're talking about. The other thing she that didn't I, work quite so well for me, but <laughs> I oh, really? think the story's you weren't, as, you weren't as into. You didn't think she was as good, huh? Uh, she every time she said quantum realm, I could feel her being like. I already put in one of the best comic book hero performances of all time with Catwoman. I don't need, <laughs> I don't know what the quantum realm is. <laughs> this That's fair. Yeah, to compare quantum, Quantumania to Batman Returns, that's not going to- um, A right. little bit of a difference, yeah. We're talking about um, not equal movies. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. The other thing I thought was interesting about this, which kind of relates what to, your, to what you're talking about, a character making a decision and having to reevaluate that at least, mm-hmm. is we meet Scott Lang at the beginning here resting on his laurels, right? Yeah. The, the world has been saved. He was yeah. a big part of that. And he's enjoying his fame. He's he's out there like you doing the book tour, right? Yeah. About his experiences. <laughs> and I thought it was very interesting how that gets challenged by by the plot, but also by his daughter, Cassie, you know, and yeah. she's basically making the argument the world still needs him. I, th- I think she yeah. even says at one point, people still need help, dad, right? Isn't yeah. that her line? Yeah. Uh, and we should say also that Catherine Newton playing his daughter here, Cassie Lang. So I was thinking about this, watching it as this theme continues as they go into the quantum realm and they encounter, as you, says, the, as you say, these oppressed peoples who do need Help And there, there's something of an, an analogy here to like the idea of personal salvation mm-hmm. versus working alongside God towards the full redemption of creation. Because I think as, yeah. as Christians, maybe particularly Western evangelical Christians, we think of salvation as a very personal thing. Once it happens, whether it's, you know, at a youth group convention or whatever in high school, like you're good, right? right? I'm done. <laughs> now is the time to, if we worry about other people, it's only to like preach at them so they can have what I've got. And so there can be a sense of resting on your laurels for maybe the lifelong Christian. And we forget that other part, I think, when we look at it that way, which is similar to what Scott Lang's being encouraged here is, no, there's work to be done. 
Now that you've accomplished that, in his case, that doesn't mean you're finished. And I think similarly, we've been saved, but we're not called to sit back and be satisfied. So, right. so just kind of an important message there for us. I think maybe particularly for those of us who feel fairly safe and affluent, there's another line Cassie says that really stood out to me. Uh, just because it's not happening to you doesn't mean right. it's not happening. And that's where I was like, oh, okay, interesting. Because yeah, he's got a pretty good life. He doesn't have to worry about much if he doesn't look too far. And the quantum realm, of course, getting down there, he realizes, no, there's there's a lot of stuff that needs some tending to here. Yeah, and that's interesting in light of kind of the overall Ant-Man arc, because in the last movie, he's in house arrest. You know, there's, that's we right. first meet him as an ex-con who can't hold down a job, a divorced dad who can't see his kid, you know, like it's pretty is down on your luck as um, a Paul Rudd looking dude is going to ever going to get. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's really interesting. I didn't think about that, but then he's, we see him at the top of the world and he's kind of forgotten, you know, the, 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 the journey that he's been on. And that's, that also can be important to uh, Christians, you know, that we, we think once, once we've gotten through our difficult parts, you know, we've gotten through our season of trial where we're reading Job and Lamentations every day, and now, <laughs> now things are good. And we forget both about the sort of lessons that we learned in that time, but also the kind of the whole purpose of struggling is then, so now you can show that grace to somebody else. Mm. And yeah, that's interesting. I didn't think about it that way, but yeah. it's good. Yeah, the, the, the empathy part, you know, exactly. is a, a muscle that we need to keep exercising perhaps, yeah. Well, thank you. It's always fun, Joe, talking uh, superhero stuff with you. So I appreciate it. And I'm assuming folks can find the superpowers and the glory at all the usual places. They can, yeah. Are there any other podcast appearances, events you have planned in case people want to hear more about the book? Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know when they're all scheduled in relationship to when we're recording this. So follow me on Twitter at J-A-George-I-I or on every other social media platform at Joe Writes Words. I, I will be talking constantly about things like that. I won't shut up about the book. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Good. That's, uh, that's what we hope for. Well, congrats okay. again and have fun really with the rollout and getting a chance to engage with folks as they read it. Oh, I will. Thanks, Josh. Lay away too long Dark has come, hope is gone I seen some glimmering things It's just a vision I'm in When we all turn to gold What make-believe is in your eyes That's what I realize The dawn has come Your star will fall John J. Thompson doing the Lord's work as usual with his Spotify playlist and alerting me to music that slipped past me. That was Spirit, Power, and Soul by Johnny Marr. Marr, of course, the English artist who started his career with the Smiths and is still going strong. Spirit, Power, and Soul, you know, the stuff that every superhero should have. It comes from Marr's 2022 album, Fever Dreams, parts one through four. I didn't want to embarrass Joe George by reading some of his book back to him earlier, so I'll read a bit of it now. This was a section that I appreciated from the superpowers and the glory. Despite their many flaws, despite their emphasis on corporate interests and intellectual property, despite their emphasis on violence, superhero movies are fundamentally about the difference between right and wrong. Even when they imagine this clash imperfectly, they can still be of use for Christians who have been instructed to not grow weary in doing what is right. Joe, of course, there quoting Galatians 6, verse 9, 
Thanks to him for writing The Superpowers and the Glory and for coming on the show to discuss it. If you want to think more about superhero stories along these lines, we have all sorts of articles at thinkchristian.net, as well as previous episodes of the TC Podcast. Not just covering Marvel, we do discuss and consider DC as well. But with the new Ant-Man movie, we did update our Roundup post called God in the MCU, so that it now includes everything we've written about through Phase 4. Again, you can find that at thinkchristian.net. We'll also link to it in the show notes for this episode. If you want to keep up with Joe and what he's doing around the book, you can follow him on Twitter at jageorgeii. We're on Twitter too, as well as Facebook at Think Christian. And we're on YouTube. Just search for Think Christian on YouTube and you'll get video versions of this podcast as well as other video content. If you are watching us on YouTube right now, you missed out on a couple of tracks from the Spotify playlist that John J. Thompson has compiled all under the theme of the superpowers and the glory. Search for the Think Christian playlist on Spotify and you'll find that. The TC Podcast is a listener-supported production of Reframe Ministries, a family of programs designed to help you see your whole life reframed by God's gospel story. Visit reframeministries.org for more information. Our audio engineer and post-production supervisor is John Reeder, and Reframe's co-director overseeing content strategy is Robin Vassilin. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back again in a couple of weeks to consider how another corner of our pop culture fandom connects with our faith. 